Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Did you guys have a good Easter? Yeah? Was it? <laughs> oh, Hank. Somebody had a good Easter. Did you guys go Easter egg hunting? Huh? Oh, yeah, that's right. How'd that go? It's awesome. Looked like a fun crowd. Well, we're back in Ephesians, and uh, we're learning how to read the Bible together. And so one of the things that I would suggest is because as we're getting back into the plodding of going through a book of the Bible slowly, um, the purpose is to, as you reread Ephesians later in your life, or if you choose to read the book of Ephesians with someone else that you're helping learn how to follow Jesus, you remember different things that we talked about. And so one of the suggestions that I have for you is to bring your own Bible, and as you're reading along, you can get one of those Bibles that sometimes they have like uh, sections on the sides where you can write down notes and ideas, but just get used to like underlining things and, and writing things in the margins so that next time you read Ephesians, you remember certain things and understand certain things that you didn't before. So that's part of, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't really know where to begin in the Bible, I don't know how to read the Bible. Well, just show up every Sunday, and by virtue of being here and following along in your own Bible and starting to underline and circle things and write notes, you'll learn how to read the Bible. It's not like there's a class that you can take, you just kind of do it. So that's one of the reasons why we typically um, preach through books of the Bible. So we're in Ephesians 1. Uh, chapter 15, and we're going to go all the way through 15 to 23. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ramp up our pace a little bit because I really I love Ephesians. I don't want to be in it for five years, honestly. So I actually plotted out, and there is an end in sight. So I'm not telling you when that is yet or what year or what decade that is, but there is an end in sight, and it's actually going to be coming uh, sooner rather than later. But we're going to get through the book of Ephesians in a way that you'll understand the whole book, not just tiny little phrases and words. I want you to get a feel for the entire book and what it's about. So we're going to be in Ephesians 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, and we're going to take it in chunks of a couple verses at a time. So Ephesians 1, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. And so if you have your, your bulletin today, you see that I have a few statements for each of the sections that we're going to be talking about. And that first one there is Paul sees evidence of spiritual responsiveness in the Ephesians spurring him to pray. So the first thing that I want to talk about is prayer happens basically in two categories, and I just, um, someone taught me this this week. I'd never thought of it in these terms. But when we pray to people, it's just, when we pray to God, it's just simply having a conversation. And the two categories that we can think about prayer is relational and partnership. So it's developing a relationship with God 
and developing a partnership with God. So relationship is just what you think. It's just sharing your life with God. Like you're hanging out with your kids and you're having a good time and you bring God into it just by saying to yourself, this is great, God. I'm really enjoying this. This is a lot of fun. Thank you for this. You walk outside and it's sunshine and and you say, Lord, man, this weather's incredible. Thank you so much for that. Or it's raining. I don't want to be grumpy today. I don't want to complain, God. So I know you're doing good things with this rain. Um, it's just bringing Jesus into your everyday life. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be amazing. It's just having a continual conversation with someone who is not only your king and savior, but also a very close friend, closer than a brother. So that's one aspect, the relationship aspect of prayer. But then there's also the partnership aspect of prayer. And that is, as you're praying for people that you love, which should be a pretty typical practice for believers, as you're praying for people that you care about, or people that you work with, or neighbors, family, you're, you're basically asking what are you doing in this person's life right now, God? What are you up to? Otherwise, you're just trying to make things up. Oh, God, I pray they have a good day. I pray that they're, you know, they're safe. And you know, um, if there's anything happening with them, that they get through it. Like You're not really sure what to pray. It just gets very boring and tedious and uninteresting. But if you actually learn to ask the Spirit, what are you doing in this person's life that I can partner with you by praying for you to do it more. And that's what Paul's doing here. So what you're looking for, and this, again, this, we should all be doing this. If you're in the kingdom, you should be a productive citizen. You shouldn't be, there are no inactive, lazy citizens of the kingdom of God. We need all hands on deck. So everybody in this room who is currently a follower of Jesus should be doing this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're going to get to hear how we operate a little bit. If you're a follower of Jesus, one of the things that you look for in partnering prayer is responsiveness to God. And what that might mean is, you know, you invite them to Easter service and they showed up. That's a responsiveness to God. They're open to God in a particular way. You, they ask you to pray for something, and they're not really into church, they're not really into Jesus, but they're having a really hard time. They say, you know, I know you're spiritual. Could you just, could you, whatever, could you pray for me about this? Boom. There's a little bit of responsiveness. And, you know, when you have, when you have people that you love that aren't in the kingdom and that you want them to experience the goodness of God through Jesus and they're just not there yet, you're looking for ways that they might be responding to God's invitations to them. Um, they don't like dry heave when you talk about Jesus anymore. That's, you're looking for anything, any type of responsiveness. And then partnering with God in prayer is like that responsiveness means the door was open just a little bit and you're putting your foot in the door. You're wedging the door so it can't close. And you're asking God, can you open it just a little bit more? They, were, they showed up to church on Easter. Awesome. Open their eyes and their hearts even more to how good you are. And while you're doing it, do that for me too. Because I need to be convinced that this thing's real every morning too. When I wake up and I feel like sludge. You know, it's hard to get moving in the morning. I need to be reminded that there was a resurrection. So do that for me too. But man, I see that they're open or they listened to a 
teaching, or they liked some worship song I was listening, whatever. I'm putting my foot in the door and I'm wedging it open, asking you, God, to open it a little bit wider. That's what partnership with God in prayer looks like, and this is exactly what Paul is doing. You know, the people that make, probably are making the biggest influence and impact in your life, you probably don't even know who they are. You probably have no idea who it is because it's people who pray for people without announcing it to others. Now, you should know that I pray for you. Everybody on the church roster gets prayed for every month by me and by our shepherd team. We have a group of 12 people who are committed to praying for every person in this church in partnership with God. So if you're on our roster, your name gets prayed over. And we're asking God what he's doing in your life, so we need to know what's happening. That's why I like that we're, a, you know, we're not a huge community because we need to know what's happening in each other's lives. The evidence that Paul says he sees in 15 and 16, the evidence of responsiveness he sees in the Ephesians is, anybody see it? Two things, faith and love. It's faith and love. There's a vertical evidence and there's a horizontal evidence. Faith is dependence upon God. Love is is. You know, loving one another, giving your life away to make other people great. That's essentially what Christian love is. Now, faith is, what type of evidence are you looking for in faith? It's essentially, I think it's Dallas Willard that said, faith is living as though what you believe is real. That's a lot harder to do than you think. Faith is living as though what you believe or claim to believe is actually, in fact, reality. Which means that, you know, we believe, because Jesus said it, that if you focus your central gaze in life is on the kingdom of God, if that's the reality that you anchor yourself in, which is upside down from everything else in this world, If you focus on the kingdom of God and living as a productive and fruitful citizen of the kingdom, right living, that's righteousness, then God will take care of all of your needs. We believe that. So it's one thing to believe that, and it's another thing to live as though that were real. We believe that when you have a conversation with God about someone else, he intervenes in their life, in a way that he otherwise wouldn't. Their life will get a little better so long as they submit to his invitation and intervention. I mean, we say we believe that, that the way that you really get things done in the kingdom domain is through prayer. We say, and we believe that, but what if we lived as though that were real? We probably would be like Paul who never stopped praying. You know, we celebrate Easter and we say we believe in the resurrection. Everybody says that. Everybody that goes to church says that. But what would it look like to live as though we really believe Jesus came back flesh and bones and he proved it by eating a fish in front of the disciples. They had a hard time believing he wasn't a spirit, so he said, geez, anybody have a fish? Will that do it for you? That He literally did that. He ate a fish. and You see what I'm doing? I'm flesh and bones. This is what's going to happen to you guys. You get a resurrected body. Let that sink in. 
I mean, it's one thing to say we believe that, that's cool, but it's another thing to actually live as though that we're real because it allows for a certain type of recklessness for Christ on this side of eternity because no matter what, go ahead, kill me. I know it's coming because I've seen the first fruits of it through Scripture and Jesus. So faith is simply, you know, whatever you say you believe, you're actually adjusting your life around that reality. Otherwise, it's not really faith. It's just, I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. And then love is um, committing to make other people great by giving yourself away in love to others. You know, sacrificially serving other people. I keep forgetting to turn that alarm off one of these days. Um, sacrificially serving other people. And here's the other thing, and then we're going to move on. But the thing about when you, when you commit your life to serving other people in love, God puts a wind and energy and enthusiasm in your life that you wouldn't otherwise have if you weren't committed to serving other people in love. You will have momentum to your life that is impossible to get apart from I'm committed to laying my life down to serve other people. Now, uh, someone on the Shepherd team was a brilliant, brilliant question asked um, last time we met about boundaries because we talk a lot about boundaries. And, you know, I get away once a quarter to go sit in the woods by myself with nobody else, no interruptions, just me and Jesus. I do once a month where it's a day of solitude like that. I'm not. You know, there's often times that I'm not accessible because that's how Jesus lived, and I think he had a good model for us. So I'm going to follow him rather than best leadership practices. So a lot of times I'm inaccessible and unapologetically inaccessible. I think boundaries are good. It's okay to say, no, I'm with my family, and you can't interrupt me right now. And we don't apologize for that. But here's the thing. Boundaries aren't for me. This is where we make this mistake with boundaries. Boundaries enable me to have energy and capacity for the people that God's calling me to love in that moment. And for me to think about being a pastor for a really, really long time, which is what I would like to do. I'm just not going to kill myself in ministry because I want to be here with you guys for a really long time. I don't want to go anywhere. I want to be a pastor. To do that, you have to have some boundaries, and, and you do too. You guys need those too. You can't always be accessible. It's, you, you're dehumanizing yourself. So love is actually giving yourself away to others through spending time with Jesus in a way where you're always full and overflowing so you can give yourself away. Whenever Jesus calls you to do something for someone, you can, you can do it if that's what Jesus is calling you to do. That's the key. Because what have you heard me say a million times? God gives you all the time, energy, and resources to do everything he's asking you to do, not necessarily everything you want to do, not necessarily everything other people are asking you to do. You just need to learn how to hear what Jesus is doing. All right. Verses 17 through 19. Let's look at that. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, that's a weird statement, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So Paul sees their responsiveness. He's got great thanksgiving for the Lord, to the Lord for what he's doing in their lives, and then he's asking for increase. So he's Paul prays for an increase in spiritual wisdom and revelation. 
people who are responsive to God, you can pray that God would do more. Now, when it comes to growing in spiritual wisdom and revelation, there's a part that God plays and then there's a part that we play. And it's important that we know the difference between those two things. There's uh, a verse in 2 Timothy 2.7 that pretty much describes it. It sums it up really, really well. Um, I might have someone look it up because it's not coming off the top of my head. Oh, Paul's saying to Timothy, think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So do you see the two parts? What's, what's Paul telling Timothy to do? What's the first thing he's supposed to do to grow in, in revelation and wisdom and insight and knowledge? Think over what I say. How many of us actually think about Scripture? Like reflect on it. Carry it around with us on like on little four by six cards or something. And then as we learn to reflect on Scripture, what does God say he'll do? He'll give us understanding He'll give us insight, but there's some insight, most insight, spiritually, only comes as you sit with the truth and you ask the Spirit to give you understanding. What does he say that he's going to give us understanding in? One, that you may know the hope, uh, what is the hope to which he has called you? And if your hope is in anything that you can see in this temporal world, good luck. If your hope is in, you know, where you live or, or what you do or how much you make or your family or your kids or the success of your ministry, if your hope is in anything temporal, good luck. You're gonna, yours is going to be a life of anxiety because <laughs> you're always going to be trying to protect and enhance those things and it'll never be enough. But when your hope is in something that is eternal and all-powerful and all-glorious, and who deserves all of our attention and affection and love and adoration, it's like a, a black hole of goodness. It, it's always available, and there's always more available. That's what it is to hope in God. Your hope never runs thin. It never runs out, no matter what's happening. Everything else, good luck, because you're going to be suffering your entire life if you put something, if you put your hope in anything but God. That's just a, it's just a fact. Um, in different ways. You might look at someone that seems like they have their life together. Um, they have everything they need, but I promise you they don't. They're suffering because we all do when our hope is in something else. What are the, what's the next thing? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Read that, read that again. Look at that. Because here's the weird thing about that statement. It's not saying there that God is our prized possession. It's saying that we're His. It's not speaking of the value that God is giving to us. It's speaking of the value that we give to God. How is that possible? That sounds like heretical. That doesn't sound true. It doesn't sound real based on everything we know about God. 
But here's what happens. When you follow Jesus and you look at him and you learn to live the way that he does, and you learn to align your lives to these invisible eternal truths, that something happens to you. You know what it is? Glory. God shares his glory with you. Now I'm going to give you a definition of that in just a minute. First of all, you can write this down, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Listen to this, listen to this verse. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The longer you follow Jesus, get to know him through Scripture, build a conversational life with him, the more you become like him. The more glorious you become, like particles of his glory become true about you. Here's, again, Dallas Willard's definition of glory. He says, glory is the magnificent outpouring of the radiant splendor of God's power, strength, beauty, and goodness. Now, the problem is when we're not receiving glory from God, I mean, glory is a really good thing, and we all want it in some form or another, but when we don't get it from God, what do we do? We create like personas. We create like caricatures of ourselves. What would I look like if I were an interesting person, and now I'm going to become that? We work so hard to mask our insecurities, to present and project ourselves a certain way to other people, and it's exhausting when we don't understand that let God give you glory and meaning and power and beauty, beauty which comes through his moral character, which happens when you become more like Jesus. That's interesting. We want so hard to be mysterious and enigmatic and interesting, so we, we project what we think is interesting to other people. It doesn't work. It's not really all that interesting. There's only one person in the universe who will never not be interesting. <laughs> and that's the one that gave his name to you. And that's the one that wants to give your life glory. So you don't have to keep pre pretending. It's a beautiful thing. You can actually be who you actually are. And that's more interesting than kind of the false self that sometimes we like to present to others. Here's the potential of this. If you play this out. A follower of Jesus should be able to walk into any room, and it doesn't matter who's in the room, and not be impressed or intimidated by anybody, but to be able to love who's in the room. Do you understand that? Because when we're not impressed by counterfeit glory, then whatever someone presents to us doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if the President of the United States comes up and introduces himself and talks to you. You're not nervous. You're not starstruck. Because there's only one type of glory that impresses you. And if someone does have that glory, then they're not trying to impress you. They're gentle and kind and humble and sweet, just like Jesus was. And you don't have to be impressed by that because that's a gift to them. They received it from Jesus, so you didn't earn that. What I'm saying is you don't have to be afraid of anybody. <laughs> and you don't have to be overly impressed by anybody. A Christian should never be starstruck. Because we're not impressed by the things that impress other people. Does that make sense? I... Uh, I don't have this down, by the way. 
Um, but my wife and I went to this, I think it was a pastors and pastors and spouse retreat. It was like a long time ago. It was maybe like a decade, 15 years ago. Maybe it was, um, it was in Dallas. And we flew there. And it, it was just a small, like more intimate retreat and gathering. Someone wanted to like turn the air down a little bit or make it a little cooler in here. It's getting a little warm. Um, is, a, is a little bit of a, you know, small group, but there were some like giants, spiritual giants who were teaching this group. And one of them was someone that I had admired for a long time. And I'm in this, you know, kind of intimate group, and here's this guy talking right there, and I'm going to have a chance to communicate with him and talk to him. I'm like, this is unbelievable. So Kara and I are in the hallway, and we're, like, getting snacks, and I see this, this guy's coming towards us, and I, he looks at me. I know he's going to, like, introduce himself and stuff, and so I'm just thinking, here we go, here we go, and I started getting really nervous, and I started getting, like, I don't get, like, awestruck or starstruck, really, that much, but, like, for him, I was just like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to ask him? What are we going to talk about? There's so many things, and he just comes up, he's like, hey, how's it going, man? Good to see you, and what's your name? Like, he introduced himself, like, everybody knows your name. It's okay. Uh, My name, my name, my name, Greg, and I'm, like, trying to talk with him, and I'm stumbling over my words, and I'm just like, uh, thanks, yeah, you, a huge difference, you made a big difference for me, and, I'm, and Kara just mercifully like stepped in, she's like, I'm Kara, nice to meet you, and she's like looking at me, and he walks away, and she's like, what is your problem, Grimwood, like that was your chance right there, and I was just, I, I couldn't, I was starstruck, it, and it's like, I was starstruck by someone that nobody else in this room would ever be starstruck about, that's the weirdest thing about it, it's, I couldn't, understand how to talk to this person because I was intimidated or impressed or something and that like really bothered me like it shouldn't be that way if Jesus walked into the room yeah that's understandable but this is a this is a guy why was I intimidated so it started this like long process of me trying to figure out what makes a human being impressive and what it is is what Paul says here it's we are glorious And because of that, we are God's treasures. We're valuable to Him. The riches of His glorious inheritance of the saints. That's something that that Paul is praying for for us. And the last thing I'll say about that is Paul in Galatians 2, he went to Jerusalem and um, he was about to start his public ministry and he was kind of hiding for 14 years. He went into Jerusalem where a lot of this big stuff was happening. He went into a room and he was basically offering the right hand of fellowship. Here's what I'm going to do, and you guys do what you do. It doesn't matter. We're preaching Jesus. We're fine. And he says in Galatians 2, from those who seem to be influential, and then, what he, and then he says in parentheses, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. In other words, I, big deal. Some people acted like they were influential. I didn't care. I just want to get on with my business. You know who it was? You know who was in the room? Uh, Peter. James, John, the inner circle, Jesus' closest, most intimate uh, disciples, and James, who was a pastor of the church in Jerusalem, who was Jesus' younger brother, who grew up with him. Paul says in Galatians 2, there were some people in the room that people thought were influential. Big deal. I wasn't impressed. He made a point of saying that. That's important. Even the things in parentheses in the Bible are important. 
He says it again in, in 1 Corinthians. Um, you know, the Corinthian church was very cosmopolitan and, and uh, were impressed by, you know, rhetoric and power. And there were super apostles that were trying to draw them away from Paul. And Paul said, you're forcing me to give you my spiritual resume. I, this is stupid, but I'll do it, but I won't do it again. Because, fine, you want to listen to them? Go ahead and listen to them. Here's what, here's what Paul said. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. <laughs> it's a very nice way of saying, I don't care what you think. It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. I'm just not impressed by people. I don't, need, I don't feel like I need to impress people. I'd rather spend time loving them. And if you guys want to follow super apostles, go for it. Fine. Paul didn't care. Because he knew that he was included in what God considers the riches of his glorious inheritance. When you understand the value you have to God, you really don't care what value you have to other people, you know? The last thing, verse 19 through 23, Paul's prayer emphasizes the immeasurable power available to us in Christ. This is the last little part of this. In every conversation that you have with a new believer, somewhere towards the beginning of your relationship with them, should be something like this. Everything you think you know about power, forget it because you've been taught wrong your whole life. Because counterfeit power is loud, it's obnoxious, and spiritual power is quiet, it's humble. You know, we have some people that the world would look at some of the people in this room that, I'm, that I know and would think, wow, they have a lot of power. They would be esteemed by the world. And you know what? These people have been like somehow touched by Jesus in a way that they don't seem really to care. <laughs> and they're some of the most humble and loving and nice people you ever meet. They don't get pulled into the game. It's a different type of power. Counterfeit power is loud, obnoxious. Spiritual power is quiet, it's humble. I used to, I've told you guys before about when my first open gym in college, you know, you, you're establishing yourself and how good you are. Your first open gym, all the coaches are watching, everybody's watching, and all the players. And, you know, I, I'm insecure, so I'm loud. When you're insecure, you have a lot of bravado, and I'm just, I'm, try, I'm exerting bravado and trying to show off, and I'm shooting 30-footers, and there's a guy that's underneath the rim just shooting layups and not saying anything, the quietest guy in the room. And it took us... Three times up and down the court to see where the real power, power was. It was the quietest person in the room who didn't feel like he needed to prove anything. It's a funny analogy, but it's kind of true. That's kind of how Jesus was. If you look at his life compared to Pilate, compared to Herod, compared to other religious leaders, he was quiet. He didn't scream for attention. In fact, he told people, don't tell people about me. That's weird. Some people he told to tell, but others he said, don't tell anybody what I did. I don't want them to know yet. Another form, counterfeit power is self-made and self-reliant. Spiritual power is received from another who's stronger than you. Our significance comes from God. He gives us the gift of significance and meaning. It's not something that we can create in our own strength. And it's not something that anybody else can take away from us either. That's the coolest part about it. 
take everything away, you don't take away my significance because that's a gift from God and that's untouchable. In fact, the more people try to take that away, the more powerful God seems to make people. The last one, counterfeit power draws attention to itself and spiritual power draws attention to Jesus. John the Baptist had a really cool ministry. He was discipling people. He was like the last, you know, everyone was quiet. All the prophets were quiet for hundreds of years and then this guy shows up and he starts discipling people and saying, the Messiah is coming. So a lot of people are going to the Jordan River, even religious leaders are asking to be just baptized by him. He's like, no, you guys are snakes. <laughs> Start living like you actually believe this is real, then maybe I'll baptize you. But he... I'm not going to do it. He had this incredible ministry, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and everybody starts going over to Jesus to get baptized. Like, Jesus is baptizing people in the Jordan. How cool would that be? Be baptized by Jesus. And everybody starts going over there, and John's disciples go up to him like, um, who's that? Like, everybody's going over to him, and John's just like, <laughs> let's just say this. If he's the groom, I'm like the friend that loves seeing the groom celebrate his day. And then he says, he must increase and I must decrease. That's how we live our lives. We live a life in a way that doesn't point to how impressive we are, but how, to, to how impressive God is. And this spiritual power is different from God's general power. I'm going to end this with a question for you because I'm not going to give you the answer. You can look outside and you can see the consistency of seasons, even though it's, that's a stretch in Ohio, but it's basically there are seasons in varying lengths and degrees that show up every year consistently. You didn't have to wonder if the sun was going to rise today. You don't have to wonder if it's going to get dark tonight. In God is clear in Scripture. He's the one that's holding all that stuff together. He's, the, he's managing that project. In fact, if God for a moment would cease to think about creation, it would disappear. We would all be gone if God for a moment decided to not think about it. He holds it together with his thoughts. That's what we learn in Hebrews. There, there's power there. But there's a specific and more particular type of power that he gives the church. His power on earth is most dense in the church. In a community of people who are committed to following Jesus and who are learning how to live as though he were real more and more together for the rest of their lives. He gives a certain type of power. That's what Paul says in verses 19 through 22. So here's my question for you guys, because if it was 2,000 years ago and you were listening to Jesus teach, you would leave frustrated because you would leave with more answers than questions, or more questions than answers. He liked to do that, and you, you would be confused, but you would be hungry, and you would be frustrated, but you would be curious, and they would start talking about it together. Those were the first spiritual conversations, which is something that we need to get really good at. We should talk about spiritual things because those are the most important things. So I'm going to leave you with a question. And that is, what does that power look like specifically that Jesus has given the church? What does it look like that he has all authority, that every knee 
will bow to him one day. From the most stubborn atheists to Satan. From human to spiritual. Every dominion, every power, every authority. Think of the scariest and worst person who ever lived in your mind. And they will bend their knee when the king is afoot. They won't have a choice. He has authority over everything and he's given that authority to the church. What does that mean? What does that look like? What type of authority do we actually have? What type of power has he actually given us? And how does it show up in this world? That'd be an interesting thing to think about this week. Let me pray for us. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.